Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Respect, Belong, Thrive. My name is Nathan Coffey, and I'm the manager of student equity in the diversity, equity, and inclusion team here at Deakin. Today, I'm joined by Oli Cook, and we have the honor of meeting in Nam on Wurundjeri country. Together, we both acknowledge the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the unceded land where we are today. We pay our deepest respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present, and we express our gratitude for their care of country, which continues to sustain us as it has done for millennia. I feel incredibly lucky to be joined on this podcast today by Oli. Oli is a third year PhD student at Deakin University in the School of Social Sciences. They are a non-binary trans person whose research interest is in gender, sexuality, queerness, and trans studies, with a little background of sociology. Their thesis is entitled Trans Enough, Exploring Transgender and Gender Diverse People's Relationships to Transgender Identity in Australia. It focuses on trans people in Australia, their understanding of their gender identity, how they understand the broader category of transgender, and what this means for trans communities. Now, when Ollie isn't busy writing the PhD, researching for the PhD, you can find them at gigs, Binge watching trashy TV. Oh, I'd love to know more about that. And also playing D&D, which sounds very exciting. Thanks for being here today, Ollie. No worries. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm pretty excited to hear a lot about your PhD topic. But before we take that deep dive into our research, I actually think we need to hear a little bit more about yourself. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what makes you tick? Yeah, for sure. I summed up in my bio, am a lover of trashy binge watch TVs, um, particularly Right now, I am watching CSI from the beginning. Ooh. Yes. Interesting. It's been, it's going to be a month, like months long, probably over a year. Is it one of those shows where you feel like you could just have in the background while you do things? Perfect. I love those shows. But yeah, I am a non-binary person. I've been out as non-binary for seven or eight years now, which feels like a really long time in uh, especially the world of being trans. It's like definitely come a long way and also some backwards ways in the last seven years. So I kind of feel like an old trans person, but I still am pretty young. (laughs) I grew up in... On the central coast of New South Wales, did my undergrad at the University of Newcastle. So I lived in Newcastle, sunny Newcastle for a few years. And that's where I call kind of home in family retrospect. Yeah, I am always at gigs. When I was at the University of Newcastle was queer convener for their student union up there. So I did a lot of advocacy and student politics, but mostly in advocating for queer students on campus, specifically for trans students on campus. That's kind of where a lot of this stuff comes from speaking and being in trans communities up there once I kind of came out. It kind of sounds like from your lived experience so far that undertaking a PhD is kind of a really natural step. It's that kind of alignment of where your kind of life has kind of led you to at the moment. Do you mind maybe taking this opportunity to tell us a little bit more about what your PhD is looking at? Yeah, for sure. So it is looking at, uh, I'm now, from now I'm going to say trans and not trans and gender diverse. Um, When I talk about that, I mean it in like the broadest possible sense. Kind of formal definition I use is anyone who doesn't identify with the gender they were assigned at birth and identifies as trans chooses to use that. Uh, label. But yeah, so I look at trans people in Australia and how they understand their own gender identity. And the big chunk is how they understand trans as a category, as an identity, as a whole. Who is considered trans? Who isn't considered trans? Um, What are the kind of covert and like overt rules about that and how that kind of comes into play in communities and how that creates tensions and boundaries and how that plays out in community. Yeah. 
Oh, it sounds so interesting, which is the reason why there's about a million questions on their way about your research, because we're really excited to find out more. Before we dive into your research, what you've found so far, maybe a little bit of a sneaky insights into some recommendations you're coming across at the moment. I think for PhD students, one of the hardest things or also the easiest thing, is to decide what your topic's going to look at um, and trying to find that space where you go, that's my passion, that's what I'm really interested in, and here's a space where I can jump into and provide some value based on the research. So really curious to know, what was your reason for wanting to pursue this research? I kind of always knew that I wanted to be in trans studies looking um, at trans people, um, doing research with trans people. Gender, even before I identified as trans, has always been academically a really interesting thing to me. I've always loved interrogating it. So it was kind of harder for me. It was easy to choose that I wanted to do something with trans people. The hardest bit was kind of actually narrowing it down in the field. Mostly I kind of came across this intra-community tension, violence about, about or between trans people, ideas around, oh, am I trans enough? Can I call myself trans? People feeling uncomfortable in the community and also experiencing uh, that myself as a trans person, um, especially as a non-binary trans person seven years ago. There was some stricter rules in some community spaces about who and who isn't considered trans, um, more essential or biologically, physically transition-minded ideas about what it is to be trans. So ideas that you have to physically undergo medical transition to be trans. Ideas around that it's only people transitioning from like one binary gender to another. And so that was really interesting and wanting to look at the effects of that. And because I saw it in myself and other people, I think both I had experience and I've now um, come to hear from participants that when we face that violence by trans people um, and that exclusion by trans people, people that that we assume are going to be for us, it's more hurtful than if anyone else did it. Um, and so that was, yeah, kind of the choice to go into that. And then the coming to work on how trans people categorize or think of the cat broad category of trans was in my first year of my PhD, you are kind of told and you read really broadly about a bunch of stuff and kind of coming to this thing of, well, who defines trans and gender diverse a lot of previously that has been medical professionals have defined what it is to be trans and kind of set the tone of that not trans people themselves and so but also going wait there isn't really a definition no one's like there's not one head trans person who's been like this is what it is to be trans and so yeah kind of becoming fascinated with that aspect of it i think it's really like just to place a comment back in return i think it's incredible that you're empowering the community to have a response to that which is really I think quite inspiring thank you I would love to know how you feel the intersectionality between your research and your lived experiences because that's obviously it's something that's very dear to you and it's your own lived experience and then you're connecting with your community how's that intersectionality going I I really enjoy it uh, I think the intersectionality for me is I feel, in a good way, I feel a privilege to be able to be doing the research, but um, I also feel a great weight maybe isn't the best word, but I feel want a high priority within this research is to portray like nuanced, diverse, complex stories about trans people and letting participants speak for themselves as much as they can through the research. So I feel a great responsibility. That's probably the word I'm looking for. I feel a great responsibility to my community but in like a good way. Obviously, it's also really validating to like hear other people who have the same experiences as yours and doing um, interviews and that type of thing was always incredibly rewarding to be able to 
do that and many of them while being interviews were also just having a conversation a lot of them felt like um, way more than it felt like a structured kind of thing so amazing thank you for being really vulnerable and sharing that so you're well into your research at the moment how far along are you are, are you at the moment I am about two and a half years in so I've got probably 12 to 18 months left depending on how long it takes me to finish writing up so you're on the other side of it which is exciting yeah. there's obviously light at that end of that tunnel so being that far into your research, we'd love to know what kind of key developments have you observed so far and were any of them quite surprising to you? I don't think there's anything that I was really shocked at that I like didn't think would be there at all. I think that obviously comes with doing lived experience research. You tend to have a bit of a clue about what you think you're going to get back. Some of the really interesting things were um, when talking to people about how they saw the wider category of transgender, a lot of people talking about it as an active choice and how choosing, specifically choosing to identify as trans and call yourself trans is like a key part of the identity um, because there are like non-binary people or other gender diverse people who don't specifically identify as transgender. They don't, that category doesn't feel or like label doesn't feel affirming to them. And so they don't use that. And so, um, and I think that's probably something that's relatively new as well that I've seen in the community is more people identifying as non-binary, but not identifying as trans. And then uh, one of the great things it's kind of been happening in the last couple of years as well is a shift away from like a more like deficit dysphoria driven model to a more like gender affirmation um trans joy like talking about why people identify as trans and not just that it's like this portraying it as some like lifelong sentence of suffering which I'm not going to say that you know trans people obviously are discriminated against we face a lot we've seen it in the last few years there are definitely things that need to be addressed for the trans community both in health and um a bunch of different outcomes but if it was only awful terrible things and we didn't either get like a sense of self-validation or if we didn't get anything out of it we wouldn't identify as trans there would be nothing whether it's connecting to our community whether it's having a greater understanding of self and being able to talk about that having the language to talk about that being able to affirm your gender both socially and medically doing all those things they outweigh the cons of it um, and so having that kind of shine through has been really good too. Wow it's amazing it's so great to hear um, that your research is obviously already identifying that. One of the main focuses you've already uh, touched on from your research is understanding what qualifies as transgender from the perspective of individuals within this community. How have you seen different individuals define or conceptualize their transgender and or gender diverse identities? Yeah I think it's Overall, broadly, if we're talking just how they understand the huge label, it is a very broad definition of anyone who doesn't identify with the gender they are assigned at birth and who actively kind of chooses to identify as trans. Obviously, when you then go into the nitty gritty of people's individual gender, individual understandings of their genders, that is, I kind of always joke that they're like, is as many gender understandings as there are people that is you know personally different for everyone but there are those yeah coming to understand 
Um, a lot of time as well after either meeting or having trans representation, a lot of people talk about not understanding that they were trans until they met other trans people in their lives and were able to like talk to them and really meet with them and, and do those things that they were like, oh, actually, I think, I think I'm trans. I think this is where I'm at. And so, yeah, I think that has been a massive part of it um, is, yeah, that representation. And that's also why like visibility and representation is so important in broader contexts because people don't, people can't identify with what they don't know. And so if we don't have complex, nuanced, diverse representations of trans people, then there's potentially a whole bunch of people who are missing seeing something that they could connect with. It really reminds me of that saying in the equity world that you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. I think personally, and I think your research is doing just that, to share that lived experience so others can see and learn and experience from others. Yeah, definitely. Diving into your research further, you discussed the concept of gender regulation amongst trans people. Can you provide some examples or insights into how these practices of gender regulation manifest within the transgender and gender diverse community? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ways we see gender regulation is um, kind of policing around who is considered and who isn't considered trans. I think that is like a pretty strong one. Um, A lot of participants talked about feelings of not feeling like they're trans enough. And that often is not coming from a specific person. Like someone hasn't been like, you're not trans enough, but it's coming from the narratives that are embedded in trans communities that are embedded in general society around who's considered trans. And, And again, like the visibility and representation that we have if they only see binary trans people who medically transition as trans then they don't think that they're they're trans if they don't want to medically transition or they don't want to do one part of medical transition say you know a trans man who doesn't want to grow facial hair where everyone talks about you know how great it is to grow facial hair then they're like they start questioning their own wants for their own transition being like well am I really trans then and this at play in community isn't always I think we could there's a lot of overt ways that are probably easier to think of literally people being told that they're not trans or excluded very specifically from communities which people do definitely experience but um, I think now as well in the past five ten years we've had a greater understanding greater visibility of like non-binary and gender more gender diverse identities and so that is maybe less the case I think now it's more to do with um, communities that often say that they're like say non-binary inclusive but they their community discussions still only focus on medical transition from one gender to another and so why they might be non-binary inclusive if they can't see their if all they talk about is medical transition and that non-binary person can't relate to that then they go oh well actually is it a space for me actually is this something I want and then the other one is still like trans specifically I would say like more binary trans genders feeling like they have to be kind of the most masculine or feminine version of that spectrum that if they're not looking for that that if they're not aiming for that then then they're not trans or you know that gender regulation that we still see in kind of cis people about having the right type of femininity or the right type of masculinity and performing in those ways is still at play in the trans community and also thinking of non-binary gender diverse identities they're often portrayed as like the androgynous like you have to be the most androgynous or can sit like all the time playing with gender and blurring those lines and crossing those lines and so if people aren't interested in doing that then uh, those are kind of more covert ways that that gender regulation plays out um, in community. 
communities. Now, I'm really keen to hear, it's, it's a bit of a cheeky question because I know your research is still going, but really keen to hear if you can give us some even sneaky insights into any recommendations or understandings that have emerged that you think from your research that would be really valuable for organizations or even individuals who are really wanting to support transgender and gender diverse individuals more effectively. Anything you can, can share now before the PhD is finished? Yeah, I think the big thing is that Trans and gender diverse people aren't a homogenous group. We're not a one size fits all category. We're not some type of weird clothing item that says it's one size fits all, but really doesn't. We're not the not all of us wants the same things. If we were talking about organizations or, you know, medical organizations and things like that, not everyone wants to go through the same physical transition journey. Some people want different outcomes in their tra transition journey. That looks different for every single one of us. Um, it's the same across everything, whether that's some people not wanting to legally change their name or identify in some ways, in some circles and different in others. Many people have more than one gender identity um, or more than one label that they use. And so they might change what labels they use in what circumstances. And I think it's really key for everyone, whether you're someone's friend, don't just assume that your trans friend that's come out to you wants to do all these things. Respectfully ask questions. Um, obviously, at the same time, trans people don't owe you any answers about certain things, but letting trans people and letting the trans and diverse people in your life or, or whoever you're working with lead that way lead what they want what they don't want and have as much control and agency as they possibly can and I think that also comes into play if you're an organization trying to create programs and groups and facilitate those type of things remember that we are diverse and we all have different needs and while that makes it harder to create programs but you, you have to account for that amazing thank you for giving us that little bit of insight i'm going to ask you a bit of a glass ceiling question if that's okay of course think really big picture what do you hope your research will contribute to the broader understanding of transgender and gender diverse experiences and what impact do you anticipate having on policy or societal attitudes towards these communities yeah again depends how many people end up reading it depends on uh, the reach it can get, but I think it will contribute to a greater understanding of what it is to be trans in so-called Australia. We obviously, I also worked with a small sampling size between 20 and 30 don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, participants. And so I'm not claiming that I have some huge representative sample of every, you know, that we can make these huge leaps and bounds that some other studies can or will eventually be able to make. But I hope that what my research will do will be able to portray the real experiences of trans and gender diverse people in Australia. The good, the bad, the ugly, everywhere in between. That's what I want this research to do most. And what I think it will be able to do is, yeah, shed a light on how trans and gender diverse people understand themselves and the broader category of trans and also just their own lived experiences. Um, I want people to understand that while there are some incredibly hard things about being trans, that there is so much joy and strength and resilience that can come from it, whether it be being able to connect with community and have people that you have a shared understanding with or being able to understand yourself better. There's a lot of good things about being trans that can also come out of it. I don't speak on behalf of all of our listeners, but I'm really keen to read your final paper. No pressure. Finish it when you're ready. But I'm really excited to to learn more about the lived experience of those who've spoken to as well as yourself through your thesis. Switching gear a little bit, wondering if you've encountered any challenges or barriers in conducting your research on the topic? If so, how have you gone about navigating them? PhDs are hard. 
I think any person who has done a PhD knows a person who has done a PhD is that they're hard in general. You get called a doctor at the end of them for a reason. In general, I don't think there's anything specific research-wise that I've come into. I was really lucky that I had a really uh, smooth recruitment stage. I was able to get participants fairly easily. Um, I have because of experiences and networks, I had a pretty broad net to cast through, you know, shares on Twitter and all of those type of things. I was able to get that. Ethics was probably one of the hardest things to do. Ethics took me a long time to write and submit and then get approval for. I think that was a about a five-month process, which is pretty long for ethics, mostly because they see ethics boards see trans and kind of all automatically go into at-risk group, um, even if you're just talking to trans people about their lives, which is not something that is probably inherently at risk. I understand why we have those things um, for more vulnerable groups, but that was probably the hardest thing was getting ethics approval because I had to go through high-risk ethics. Um, and that's a lot of paperwork. So I've heard. Congrats on being able to wade yourself through that. I think uh, the community is going to be better for it once once you've finished your slight little thesis. It's only, what, 100,000 words? Yeah, something like that. Just to Who knows? A little bit. <laughs> uh, so we've, I think we've learned a lot about your thesis so far. Force you to have a bit of a glass ceiling approach to thinking about where you would love this research to go. I kind of want you now to if you don't mind, look into that crystal ball and love to know what future directions do you envision for your research in this field? And are there any specific areas or questions that you want to explore in greater depth that you might have uh, come across throughout your research that you've gone, I just can't get to that right now? There's not one burning question off the top of my head. I cannot see myself leaving trans research. Uh, it currently still has my heart. Um, also, for those who don't know anything about PhDs, you don't actually use a lot of your data in your PhD. It's a very small percentage that you probably actually can write about and use in depth. So there is a lot of stuff that will come out of my PhD, hopefully afterwards, of analysis of these interviews and that type of thing that I won't be able to include in this, but hopefully we'll get to later. Um, I still really continually am interested in inter-community dynamics and tensions. And I think that interest, while there isn't a specific question I am currently thinking or wanting to chase, because the trans community is so changing and evolving, if we think about the last 15, 20 years of trans history, it has only gotten, you know, we've had language changes, we've had a huge kind of rise in visibility and representation. And so I think that this is still a big space in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years to see what these patterns are, how these emerge over a longer period of time, what the effects of things like that are happening in especially the UK and the United States with a lot of anti-trans, both legislation and laws, but also just in the general populace, what the results and impact of that is going to be. And also in Australia, it hasn't been an easy time to be a trans person in the last few years in Australia. You know, we've had our identities debated on the floor of parliament and there are definitely still so many improvements that we need to make. And so, yeah, just continuing to look at how the community changes, what takes that, what happens, what where it goes. And so, yeah, I think that's what I'm excited to see. It really feels like the start of the journey for you. Yes. That's really exciting. I can't believe it. This is the last question. I think I could talk to you for another five hours, but conscious of your time. So here it is, the final question for you, Ollie. What's one thing you would like listeners to take away from this episode, especially in honour of Transgender Awareness Week? 
for instance, as a question we get so often in the equity world, what's something practical that they can instill in their interactions with others? I'm going to cheat and do two. One, what we were talking about earlier, speak to the trans people in your life. Let them lead you in the practical things they need, thinking about when times where there are those really big media debates, when we do see things um, like trans people being murdered, both in this country and abroad, we are often inundated with that news. So if you're an ally, one, maybe don't send the news article about this person because they've probably already seen it, but also check in with them. Actually physically message them or ask if you can drop around a meal or they want to go out for coffee because often while we do do a lot of this in our trans circle sometimes we don't want to burden our other trans friends with our grief with whatever we're feeling about that and we also sometimes it's you need someone else to message you first and then also show up be the visible front lines continue to support us show up for rallies thinking about show up for counter protests when they happen Educate the other people in your life, educate your workplaces, be doing that. If you see something, even if it's pronouns in bios, starting meetings off with pronoun rounds when you go and do your names, those type of things, be the ones to implement that. And so even if there isn't a trans person in your workplace now, when there is a trans person, they don't have to go through and do all those changes and ask for all of those things. It will already be a more welcoming space for them. Amazing. Thank you so much much Ollie thank you so much for sharing that with us I'm gonna be really cheeky again and give you one final chance any final remarks before we finish up today I think I've talked a lot but I think as well uh for people listening in the future we are recording this um just post the vote um the referendum also acknowledging that gender diversity transness in whatever shape and whatever label we put it it's not a new phenomenon this has literally existed on this country as long on this land for as long as Indigenous people have existed on this land. We were the ones that came and pushed our gender norms and our gender roles onto them. They have traditional ways, not only for the Indigenous people across Australia, but across the world. This is normal. This is natural. This has happened across history everywhere. So uh, remember that. It's not some new fad. It's not some thing that's just popped up. It has a deep history in, across the world and often a revered history. Often what we now understand as trans people, but had different languages or names for across the world, they were often revered celebrated members of their society and really special members of their communities. And so remember that. Do your research. There's incredible resources out there. There was just a book published by Noah Reisman called uh, Trans History in Australia, A History Since 1901. I think that's the name. But if you Google something like that, his book will come up. Educate yourself. I think it's the thing, same things we say over and over again. Wow, Ollie, I have no more words. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your lived experience, for sharing your research and giving us the insights of what you're already finding through your thesis so far. And thank you so much for your generosity and time to share everything you did today. I feel inspired, I feel empowered, I feel very motivated, and I'm sure our listeners feel the exact same way. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so good to be able to come on and have a chat and just talk about my research. Oh, anytime. I feel like we could have spoken for hours. For those who are listening uh, and you're interested in connecting with Ollie or keeping up to date with their research, you can follow them on X 
formerly known as Twitter, at Queering Ollie, or get in touch at orcook at deacon.edu.au. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you found any of the content in this episode distressing, please do seek support through Safer Community Services on 9244 3734 or 100 respect on 1-800-737732. And if you're a staff member, you can also contact your employee wellbeing service, 1300 687 327. Feeling so inspired, there were so many numbers at the end there. If you have any feedback or questions regarding this episode, you're also welcome to email us on respect at deacon.edu.au. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Stay amazing. And as always, stay kind. See you, Ollie. Bye.